Oh, why was I born a man, of whom to make a brute? The glad ship is gone, she hides in the dim distance. I am left in the hottest hell of unending slavery. Oh, God, save me. God, deliver me. Let me be free. Is there any God? Why am I a slave? I will run away. I will not stand it. Get caught or get clear, I'll try it. I had as well die with ague as the fever. I have only one life to lose. I had as well be killed running as die standing. Only think of it. One hundred miles straight north, and I am free. So if you're not aware, that was Frederick Douglass. I've been reading Frederick Douglass, The Boys, and um, Booker T. Washington. I don't even remember how I heard about this. I was watching a, I think I was watching a, yeah, I was watching a History Channel show, and um, Reconstruction and they were speaking about the boys and um Douglas so I decided to read their book so there's a book on um audiobook which is really good called um well it's, it's like three books in one really it's a book with a compilation of um Douglas the boys and um Booker T Washington so that was the first bit is the bit about Douglas where he narrates his story of being a slave and how he escapes and that's just an excerpt from it. Now, you can also find this on YouTube, by the way. And I'll put a link in the um, description below so you can access it if you want. It's quite an interesting read, actually. Very, very interesting. He writes, his mannerisms of writing are very funny. And he just sounds just just interesting. There are also some actual just funny bits in there. There is a, there's a bit in there where he basically beat his master up. And then his master does that thing. See when you beat someone up and someone's like, oh, well, I was going easy on you next time, then you see. And then, <laughs> and then he kind of basically said, oh, yeah, right, next time. And you don't want the smoke, <laughs> basically. So um, when I started reading that, I got a, a very, um, it's a fascinating look because I've always wanted to know history from that kind of perspective of, you know, he was writing that as a kind of memoir. So it wasn't professional writing. He was just saying the story of how his life turned out. Whereas when you watch a lot of history stuff, it's often, you know, told by historians and professional writers where they're just telling you the kind of, you know, the picturesque stuff. Not the good stuff, but necessarily, but more like, the, you know, the stuff you want to hear. Whereas you just kind of want, you know, an ordinary slave's perspective, which is kind of what he gave. Again, what he gave. So I found out to be very interesting. And then I did take some few things away from it, which kind of was the reason why i was making this podcast so that's kind of what i wanted to share in this podcast specifically so i remember i was i was on a podcast recently which is going to come out very soon and i compared our current economic system to slavery and everyone was a bit you know shocked at the comparison because they kind of thought it was like almost going too far. Not that it was rude or anything, but it was like a bit unrealistic. But after listening to this book, I'm even more convinced of it. And I'm going to explain why the few takeaways I got from the book. Now, when you read um this book, this book by Douglas, there's a bit in there where he talks about his master dying. So basically, his master dies. I shouldn't really spoil the book, but... For referencing, I'm going to have to, I'm sorry, some of it. And they have to have 
His master didn't leave a will, so they have to have a valuation of all the slaves. So all the slaves that were living like all over the place, they have to bring them all together so they can like split them up between the um the children of the masters. And what struck him was the lack of control the slaves had. So they could be sent off with this person or that person to go do this job or that job. And they didn't really have a say. They were just standing there, not talking, not doing anything, just waiting for their fate to be decided onto them. And to me, I think that kind of was reminiscent of our current economic system. You know, people always say like, you know, well, you have choice between, you know, this job and this job. You can just quit this job and do another job if you want. But I think when you look at that situation, that's like him, someone saying to him, well, you have a choice. You can work for this master or this master or that master or this master, or you can be sold to this guy. You're still selling yourself. You know, the fundamental facts of the, of the matter hasn't changed. And that was one of the points the people I was debating were making. They were saying, yeah, but now you can't compare it. Now we get paid. Now we, um, now we get this. Now we live at home. And, but when I thought about it, it just seemed basically like, It seemed almost like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like window dressing, you know? It's like saying, we're going to have a slave, but instead of, you know, beating him every day for no reason, we're not going to beat him unless he does something wrong. We're going to have him not sleep outside, but sleep in a little hut. We're not going to, you know, we're going to make sure we feed him three times a day. We're going to make sure we do this, that, and the other. But the fundamental, you know fact about his life that is which is the fact that he's a slave that that's not going to change that hasn't changed so all these other you know freedoms that you might enjoy they're secondary and you actually see a lot of that in this book as well douglas talks about you know when the slaves compare their masters and say oh well my master's better than your master and interesting they used to internalize a lot of the things their master was so if their master was rich they'll say it as though that you know that wealth is their wealth and they say, oh, but my master's wealthier than yours. As though to say, it's almost like saying, like, my dad is, you know, has more money than you. But a fundamental fact was that wealth was not theirs to enjoy. It's a bit like, you know, bragging about the company you work for. I recently got a job and my friend was sending me a, what's it called? A screenshot of, you know, how much the company made last year. And I said to him, it's not my money. It's not like they're going to share that equally between us. I'm just going to get a crumb of, you know, all the stuff I was work for. So when you look at the current economic system, when a company, for example, I don't know, Asda or, you know, Amazon or Goldman Sachs, whatever, when they want to downsize, as they call it, cut jobs or start making this instead or start working in this field instead, they don't, cons- they don't cons- consult their workers, the people that are going to be doing those jobs. They just say, we're going to be doing this now, you know, whether you like it or not. There's no say if they're going to cut some benefits or try and cut their wages or, you know, freeze their wages. They don't say, oh, you know, let's have a consultation with the workers. Let's put it to a vote. Let's ask your opinion. The the circumstances, the conditions of the job are slave-like in the amount of control you have. If a company is making, for example, weapons of war, we have no say. I remember I was like, for all the, like, all the complaining I do about multinational corporations and all of this, when I was applying for jobs, I had no choice but to work for them. So the idea that, oh, you know, if you don't like it, just work elsewhere. What do you mean, elsewhere? Where is elsewhere? There is no choice. You know, I had to apply to all the ghouly, ghastly, 
companies that I've been reading about my podcast for the past, you know, few months and my blog as an extension for the past few years. I remember my sister was actually asking me, she was like, is it okay if I apply to a job at Amazon? <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> she was like, well, you know, you've always been saying, this is no joke, this is an actual conversation that happened between us. And she was like, well, yeah, because you've always been complaining about them and saying this about them. I was like, yeah, no, I see all that, but you know, at the end of the day, we don't really have a choice, do we? It's not like we can just go off and start our own company. The system is slave-like, not in the fact that, you know, someone stands behind you and, like, clubs you in the head if you don't do it. It's a coercive system. All the jobs are in all those places we talked about. You know, someone's got to do the jobs making, you know, weapons of war. Someone's got to do the jobs for the ghastly banks that steal everyone's money. Someone has to do those jobs. You know, we have no choice. We can't, like, just make our own industries of ethical living. That's not how the world works. The capitalist system is completely totalitarian in that way. So to pretend and say like, oh, well, you know, if you don't like it, you can just do something else. It's like saying if a slave doesn't like his master, he can simply work for another another master. What difference does that make to his material condition? None. None at all. So when I started to look at this, I realized that the dynamics of our system hasn't changed. You know, Chomsky talks about this, and not even Chomsky, a lot of the people that were living this, when the Industrial Revolution started to happen in America, and people started to move from, you know, working on the farms and in the fields, to working in the industries and, you know, in the textile mills and things like that, those people of the time, they were the one that coined the term wage slavery. I don't know if you, a lot of you have heard about this. Wage slavery comes from the fact that you're selling your time. You're renting yourself. That is a slave-like existence. There's just no way around it. You're not, you know, being paid for your expertise. You're, you're being paid for your expertise in a way, but if you're a wage slave, if you're a wage laborer, they're paying you per hour. So they're saying, give me an hour of your time, and I'm gonna pay you this much. You're not get, you're not even getting paid in proportion to how much you've done or how much you've made. That is a slave-like existence. If a slave makes, you know, harvests 500 kilos of wheat this year, or next year he harvests 700 kilos, he's not going to get more food because of that. He's not going to get a wage because of that. He's not going to get better living conditions because of that. Nothing fundamentally is going to change about his condition because the quality of his work has nothing absolutely nothing to do with his compensation that is how life is for the vast majority of us amazon has gone through a meteoric rise in terms of you know how valuable the company is nothing much has changed for the people that are responsible for making this happen the people that are delivering the packages the people that are listing stuff on amazon the people that are selling stuff who are making their packaging all of this when they want to increase their living conditions or get a you know just a tiny bigger slice of the wealth they literally created they have to beg and scratch and claw and protest and strike to have a bigger share of the money they created how can anyone describe that as not slave-like i know maybe the probably people are hung up on the word but to me i don't really see what other thing you can call it you know what is it called when you make money and you're having to beg to get a piece of that money can anyone think of a system in which that's fair or, you know, 
how's that just on how's that acceptable? How can it be that people make money, then they give it to someone, then they have to beg the person to get a share of that money? They're slaves. They have no control. It's a bit like you know being held hostage, but you're like you know let's be let me let me not resist when the person wants to harm me or wants to rape me or something because maybe doing that maybe you will give me three square meals a day maybe doing that you will leave the heating on because it's really cold maybe you give me an extra blanket maybe he will do x y and z now your living conditions may be improving slightly because of that the fundamental fact doesn't change which is that you're being held hostage you're not free now, someone might come to you and say, yeah, but compared to compared to a slave, compared to, you know, this slave in the 1850s, he wasn't being whipped. At least he gave you three square meals a day. At least, he, you know, he gave you blankets. He kept you warm. What does that matter? What does that change the fundamental fact? And the fundamental fact is this system, you know, uses slaves, you know, slave labor. People having no choice, no autonomy, no power. Even think about the kind of existence we live. Now, this is a more of a philosophical point because we don't really understand as humans the purpose of life. So it gets a bit confusing. But think about just a normal human life for any of us, you know. Oh, Cap Gemini, that's the company I work for. <laughs> I just got distracted. Someone's born, you know, you grow up, you start going to school. You go to school till you're 18 or maybe 21, 22, you go to university. And you begin working You start working 9 to 5 2 days off 25 day holiday A year Maybe more sometimes And you do that for 50 plus years Until you're about 60 something You retire You live for a few more years You're tired And then you die What was the purpose? Now what's incredible about it is You're working all these hours you could work half that, that 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 time and still make more money. The only reason you're not making that much money is because the people paying you decide not to pay you enough. So they pay you so that you have to keep on doing it the next day, the next day, the day after that, the day after that. And you do this for 50 years. You spend the whole, the best of your, of your life, you know, slaving away for this person. All for what? For them to make even more billions than they already have. That they're not even ever going to be able to spend. Think about it. Jeff Bezos, like I always say this. He could pay £50 an hour. And still be a 100 billionaire. But instead he pays £8.50 an hour. Or I think 15 now for over 21s or so. And because of that. His workers have to slave and slave and slave. Just so they can do another job. So that they can be back there doing it the next day. What kind of existence is that? Now, if you meet someone that's like 70 years old, you know, 75, and you ask them, what have you worked for your whole life? What was the purpose of it? They couldn't tell you. No one knows. We just, you know, we're born into the system, we play our role as a cog, and we just die, and that's it. And I think that's an important messaging point that, the left has to potentially, well, me, my opinion, let me not say it, I'm prescribing to the left like I'm all-knowing. But that's something the, le the left could potentially seize upon to appeal to people. Our existence is so fragile in the sense that 
you know, we could all, we could die. To, someone could die tomorrow. Jeff Bezos and all these billions. That can't protect him from a car crash tomorrow, or death by any means. He could die in his sleep, you know. But let's say he doesn't. And he just lives a relatively, you know, stable life. He lives to about eighty something, and he dies. You have Jeff Jeff Bezos living to about eighty something, being the wealthiest man in the world, and then dies, and then you know that's it. His wealth can't go with him to the grave, although he could like go to those pharaohs, but can't exactly use it can he or you have an amazon employee that's worked in retail for i don't know 40 something years had to come out of retirement and then work and then she dies at 80 now what was the point of jeff bezos stealing her labor and paying her so little that she had to work so many hours when they're both gonna die you know the same way what was the point of that we're all going to live, I don't know, 70 to 80, if we're lucky, miserable lives on this earth. Why can't we just, I should say miserable, just confusing because we don't really understand our purpose. But why can't we all have a, a system where we all enjoy our, you know, our very short time on this earth? When you start to understand, you know, our species, we're very young. We're only 200,000 years old. The planet has existed long before us. Now, whether it's going to exist long after us, it remains to be seen with what we're doing to the planet in terms of climate crisis and stuff like that. But why should some people live their existence inflicting misery and suffering on other people? I, I, I just don't understand it. It makes no sense. And what you start to understand when you ask that question is that the people that... Are so the so-called masters of this system, they are just as much slaves to the system as the people on the bottom. There is little distinction in that in, in that regard. So it would be a bit like, again, to use the analogy of being held hostage, someone's had some people hostage for five years and then he gets some new people hostage. So he puts the people that, that have been hostages for longer in charge of managing the new hostages. Now, because they're managing them, they have a bit more rights. They can deny them food, deny them water, deny them, you know, good clothing, or etc., etc. But the fundamental fact remains: they're both being held hostage. Now, the rich are being are slaves to the to the system. We're slaves to them, but the rich are slaves to the system. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, if you ask any wealthy person why they keep on accumulating wealth, they couldn't tell you. They honestly do not know. It's almost like some kind of, you know, rabid feeling inside of them. It's like asking a human being, why do you want to, you know, have sex or have children? It's all sent sentimental. Oh, for, for, for feelings, for emotional attraction, for, you know, for... What's the, what's the other thing people say? Intimacy. But there's no real underlying reason. We can't really understand why we want to do it. We just know that as animals, it's a thing we want to do and it's a thing we just do. It's a feeling we get and, you know, it's an itch we got to scratch. But, you know, going beyond that, we don't really know why it is that we have to do this. It's the same thing for rich people. They couldn't tell you why they have to, you know, subjugate people. I'm pretty sure if you point out to Jeff Bezos, like, like I have, I don't know if he's actually thought about it before, but if someone could just get him in a meeting and say, you do realise that you could pay your workers £50 an hour or $50 an hour for the American one, and still be a hundred billionaire, right? 
I'm pretty sure that will have absolutely no effect on what he's doing going forward. For him to pay his workers $15 an hour, he took um, Bernie Sanders shaming him, you know, and, and, and embarrassing him and going around telling people that this guy is a disgrace. And then he, you know, reluctantly agreed to increase it to £15 an hour. I'm not sure he even did that because of the goodness of his heart. I think he probably did that to, like, trample on his competition who can't afford to pay that. Well, again, not that they can't afford it in terms of actual money. They can't afford it because their stocks will look bad. There was literally uh, an article that was in Axios. And it said, they quoted uh, uh, an executive that said, we would pay our workers more, but that would be bad for the stock market. So essentially, there's this game we're playing with numbers. And if we actually do stuff to improve people's lives, we might ruin our game. Again, that's the kind of system we have. And that system, sad to say, is, is not one person's fault. It's not Jeff Bezos' fault. It's not Bill Gates' fault. It's not Warren Buffett's fault. Because this is a system that's existed long before them. Again, you could have the same conversation we were having. As I'm reading Frederick Douglass, you could have the same conversation with slaveholders and say to them, you do realise that the people you have as slaves and are brutalising you know, to such an extreme amount Again, again, slavery didn't begin with African-Americans, so let's just get that out of the way. But you could say to them, you know, if you just employ these people and pay them a decent wage and let them have, you know, rights as workers, you know you could still be making incredible profits, right? And I'm sure that occurred to them. They know that. But if they're not doing it, their neighbour who has slaves will be doing it. And that's really, a lot of the time, the motivation for these people. They're trapped in a game where they can't stop playing because they'll be eaten alive. But they don't really have any other reason for not for not you know for not doing it. At every level, everyone in the system is is replaceable. You know, and that's just a sad fact. If you start right from the bottom, the people, let's say we take an organization like McDonald's, the fry cooks, or the, the cleaners. If they quit, someone else is, you know, there's many people waiting to take their job. You know, they quit protesting the system, saying, I will not be part of this evil corporation that steals people's labour. Yeah, so what? They'll just get someone else to do it. The the line manager, same thing. The regional manager, same thing. There are many people lined up to do his job. You know, the country manager the continent manager all the way to the top the ceo you think that if the ceo said we're gonna have to start paying our workers 50 percent of all profits because that's the moral thing to do he wouldn't even be able to finish that speech they'll fire him so fast the board will fire him they'll just appoint a new ceo they'll be doing what they want and if the board and the ceo decide together that we're gonna do this because it's the moral thing to do do you know what's gonna happen subway will keep on paying the slave wages that they're paying. And next thing you know, all the investors will start buying shares in Subway instead because Subway are a more profitable company. Next thing you know, McDonald's going to declare bankruptcy or they're just not making enough money. Subway buy them and start doing the same thing they were doing before. They went bankrupt. At every level, the system is exactly that way. It doesn't, it, just one person cannot fight it. At one level or at any level, one person can't fight it. It's going to require incredible solidarity and 
again, it's the system that has to go. You know, I know it has been a good thing on the left to demonize billionaires, which I guess sometimes it helps people understand it more because if you start telling them about the system, maybe. But you really have to start educating people on the system. It's not one person's fault. And this system has, has, has existed long before these people, long before us, long before any, not anything we have here. And this system will most likely continue to exist until we radically change it. Now, I don't know how that change is going to come about. But, I don't know, it just kind of seems unsustainable right now, doesn't it? With, like, everything going on. But at the same time, when you start to look at history, you realise that maybe it's not. Because when I watch documentaries on ancient civilizations, again, you realise how old this system is. It is not new at all. So it's hard to say, like, oh, you know, it's, we're reaching a precipice now where everything's all going to fall apart because people have had enough of the system. The system has been this way for thousands of years. In fact, when you look at, like, some archaeological findings, you see the vast, incredible income, like, disparity, the wealth difference between the very rich minority, you know, and the vast underclass, which represents the majority of the population. So I think what happens sometimes is, like, with, like, slavery... Our indignation at it is not really new. You know, I'm pretty sure the underclass, the people that are very close to this whole, you know, slavery and subordination, they've always been disgusted by it. But we're just a new underclass who are disgusted by it too. And so we're like, how did the system like this exist? This is disgusting. But to the people at the top, they're almost surprised at our revolt. I always say every time Tony Blair talks, he looks a bit shell-shocked because you can't believe that the public hate him so much because of the Iraq war. To him, he was just like, yeah, I'm just, you know, doing an illegal war. That's what we do in this position. You know, if you look at the history of Britain, that's what they've done. That's how they accumulate all their wealth. So he must be thinking to himself, to himself, how is it that, you know, people hate me so much for this stuff that, you know, all of us have been doing for ages? He must be a bit confused. Or like Obama, you know, when, you know, he's getting incredible pushback. You know, the reason Obama... You know, Trump was elected was a repudiation of Obama and his two terms. So he must be looking a bit confused that, wait, what? How come people don't love me? This is confusing to me. But it's actually very understandable because he doesn't represent anyone except his billionaire donors. Now, Douglas also spoke of his grandmother, how his grandmother was like tending to the master she eventually had after her master died. So, you know, his master, the person that became a master was born. She used to, like, bathe him, feed him, put him in his clothes, everything like that. And then he grew up and then became her master. And it was kind of just odd to him because, you know, she's looked after him all her life, yet she's still not free. You know, it's a bit like, you know, giving your your life away, you know, working 30, 40 years, you know, for corporation then nothing changes. You haven't earned any freedom. You know, they're still in your old age. You're going to start cut your benefits, cut your health care, cut this, cut that. You know, you have old people going back to work. I think the idea that, just think about that, a 68-year-old, I think the average life expectancy, you know, around the world is probably like 60 or something, maybe 50-something. I think in our country, the average life expectancy is like 70-something. Think about the fact that people are working until they're 68. So that is about two years less before they are projected to die. 
Okay, just just think about that for a second. People are working right up until their life is projected to run out. Is that a, is that a sane system? Is that like a normal thing? This is normal because we all do it. But sometimes when I think about it that way, it just it's incredible to me. A sixty-eight year old retirement age is sixty-eight. What? That's that's immoral. And again, this is not sixty-eight because. If people don't work this long, then, you know, everything's going to collapse. This is so the people that already have, you know, more money than they can spend in several lifetimes get even more money that they can't spend in several lifetimes. So they add in, you know, 500 million to their already 60 billion profits in one year. People are toiling so they can play a game with numbers. I mean, it's incredible, but again... I think when I start explaining this way, hopefully people can start to see the type of similarities I'm talking about. There is this, you know, this economy, this amorphous term of economy that everyone worships. This whole coronavirus stuff is going on right now. And the whole talk is, oh, this is going to be so bad for the economy. The economy is going to be, you know, so incredibly affected by China's economy has slowed down because of, you know, their shutdowns and stuff. What is this economy they speak of if it's not the people in it? I think, again, it goes to show the lack of control, even within, you know, the people that claim to have everything under control. The economy is, is what? Is it not the people? Is it not us? But they don't even, you know, they can't even say that because to them it's like, if the numbers go down, yet yeah, lives are saved, that's a loss. What? They, what are these people talking about? It's it's very confusing to me. I must say. Speaking of which, the US passed their um their bailout, two trillion dollars, with a T. Now that question that that number is a bit misleading because it's actually been reported in several news outlets that they've been giving the stock market one trillion a day. So this is like in you know, loan guarantees and buying junk stocks and stuff like that. Basically, just to keep keep the numbers looking good keep everything afloat now i think i read this about 10 days ago maybe nine days ago so let's see let's just say you know nine days ago that's nine trillion and they passed two trillion now in this budget <laughs> they um they gave everyone making under seventy five thousand a one thousand two hundred dollar check just a one-time check not a monthly thing just a one-time thing so think about that they've been given the 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 um, which I think that costs about five hundred and something ninety billion or something like that, even less than that maybe because they're not giving it to the whole population. Now they've been giving the stock market one trillion a day. People that just play around with numbers. They don't even. It's not like they need that, that money for food or you know, rent or those kind of essential stuff. Just normal, you know, just messing around. It's like a game. They've been giving those people one trillion a day, and then they gave the people. You know, the people that are actually going to be affected by it. They're going to be kicked out of their homes. They're going to go hungry. They gave them a one-time check of $1,200 that comes all together to be about 400 or 500 and something billion for the cost. So in the $2 trillion, there was like $70 billion for Boeing. There was all sorts of bailout. And the, um, the Senate leader, the Republican, Mitch McConnell, he was literally on the floor of the Senate complaining about how bad the futures market was looking because they hadn't passed the, the corporate bailout. In fact, the first bailout didn't even really have that much money in it. I mean, again, these are the people 
But after the sun is, I feel sorry for these people because again, that's what they know. They, their mind is diseased by capitalism. And when you read this book, which is a very good book, by the way, it's kind of like a book review. So if you want to, you should read this book. When you read this book, what you find is that the people running it, you know, a lot of people, when they look at slavery, they think of it as a black, white thing. It's not. A lot of white people oppose slavery. But the people running it themselves, they didn't really know how to stop. Like a slave owner didn't really know how to, you know, just give up his own his slaves and start paying them for actual work and stuff. Because that doesn't work that way. You know, even if a benevolent, you know, slave owner was like, I'm going to treat my slaves nicely, I'm going to give them this and give them that, and free tip, you know, you can even pay them if you wanted. But the fact of the matter, the fundamental fact of their life, which is that they're enslaved and they have no freedom, doesn't change. That's the same thing with capitalism. We can make it look good around the edges. We can put some socialist incorporations into it. We can, you know, make it look nice like that. Again, it doesn't change the fundamental fact of the system, which is that this obsequious, sycophantic worship of of capital, of money. That's what capitalism is. Capitalism is. You know, this worship of money, of, of, of paper, that doesn't even make any sense. I was making a point with my friend the other day that if you gave a dog, you know, a $20 note, they're not going to know what it means. It, it's nothing to them. It's only to us because we it's a made up thing. And it's so made up that we can literally print as much of it as we want to, which is what we're doing right now anyway. So it, it's kind of odd that out of all the things that could potentially be important, you know, human life, animal life, life in general, you know, family time, happiness, morals, we choose to prioritise a weird piece of paper that has no actual value. Even within ourselves, the value of capitalism is all made up. Right now, we're looking at suspending rent payments. Now, that's what people are going to say to you. Normally, they'll be like, oh, well, you say money's so valuable. How are you going to be able to pay your rent? Now, if they suspended rent payments for three months, what would happen? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. After three months, we'll just pick back up again. Because nothing would do to suspend rent payments and they've already suspended mortgages. So no one needs the money for now because they don't have to pay anyone. That's that's literally how it works. Especially when you talk about something like rent where you know, you're not paying for an active service. You're just living somewhere. So what if you don't pay for one month? Just get it the next month. That's how easy it is to stop playing the game, <laughs> you know. But we dedicate so much to this game that, you know, people's lives, you know, like people were selling other people as, as, as slaves, which again... They didn't begin with the Americans. People love to, you know, act as though history began 1700 years ago. This is a very old tradition. But that's how much people worship this this paper. And when I start to do some research and I look at ancient, ancient history as well, you see that because of this system of capitalism, a lot of our development has been developed around capitalism. So when you look at our society right now, when I was making the point the other day that our economic system is very, very similar to slavery. A lot of my friends were like, whoa, what are you talking about? We have freedom, we can do this, we can do that. I mean, to them, it was like freedom as though, like, you know, we're not in chains, so that counts for freedom. But I wasn't making that point, that, you know, it's a, you know, a literal comparison, even though the comparisons are more or less literal at this point, you know. All the things we do in in capitalism is completely coerced. That's like saying to a slave, if they don't like their situation, they could run away or could just kill themselves. Oh, yeah, they could. But first of all, who wants to kill themselves? Secondly, who wants to run away when you're going you're gonna to get caught and 
be tortured for doing that to try and set an example for the next person. So to say, you know, well, we have choice, we can quit our jobs and, you know, get another job. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. What difference does that make if this next job is just as bad as the other job? You know, that's like saying, don't work for this slave master, work for the other slave master. Okay, so what? There's no difference. I'm still a slave. Hello? So when you think about these things, it starts to make a lot more sense. And even when you look through, the, like I said, the details of what it is, the fact that we have to pay, you know, so many things, we work all our lives, which is just so insane and ridiculous. That's another thing this whole system has exposed. You know, people are working from home for the next two, three, four months. And the world doesn't end it. Instead of seeing, you know, the the central line packs like, you know, like a like a fish, like a, like a tuna can or something every morning, the trains are completely empty. The world hasn't collapsed. Society's moving on. You're working from home. You're doing it online, you know. Some people go to, you know, to work and sit in front of a computer all day. You can get a computer at home, you know. There's no need for the, all of this. We have instant messaging now. I don't know. You have to do something on your computer. You send it to your your superior. So they say, okay, make this change, make this change, make that change. Email it back to you. Why do you have to travel from your house to do that? Well, I'm sure if you said this to some idiots, establishment people, I won't call them centrist or right-wingers, they're establishment. That means they just like how stuff is now. Their brains are completely broken and empty. That they can't think of any other way. All they can think of is whatever we have now. Whatever we have now is what we can always have. You know, if you said to those people back then, 200 or 300 years ago, we have to end slavery. What are we going to do with all the black people? Are we just going to let them, you know, live next to us? And what if they kill us? What if they do this? Again, their brain is broken. It's like people that will say, like, how are we going to pay for, you know, university free university tuition? Scotland. We give money to Scotland. They have it for free. It was free in this country 20 years ago. But apparently we can't pay for it. In fact, again, think about the fact which I brought up before. Only 25% or 30% of people go to uni. Somehow we can afford to have free education up to 18 for 0 to 18 year olds. But we can't have it for if you turn more than 18. What's the cutoff point? That's a made up thing in our heads. But these are the brain dead idiots that pass off as intellectuals. And it's always, it's funny because it's, it's a lot of the time they, they go to uni as well. And I think that's probably where they get their confidence from to think they're so smart to say that. But how are we going to pay for that? You know, we can't afford it. Don't be an idiot. But I think it's a shame because I can't really, a lot of those people, I don't know, some of them I don't speak to anymore. Some of them have changed their minds, which is always good. But the vast majority, I just want to get in their face just to ask them, like, do you feel stupid now? Like, do you feel stupid for carrying water for these people that want nothing but to ruin our lives this whole time but i don't know it's a shame maybe i'll find one i think similar to the way slavery kind of started to go away slavery wasn't able to go away because you know of you know a few benevolent you know wealthy slave owners that thought let me give up my slaves to set an example for you to change something as you know incredible as, as an institution as slavery or capitalism you have to be able to, it's going to be take, a, take a while, you know, people always ask me, you know, what are we going to do, how are we going to fix it, it's going to take a while, but you have, it's, it has to start with a massive education program to rewire the thinking of people, you know, what this whole problem stems from is from that thing which is the worship of capital, we have to remove that from people's minds, you know, human life, 
maybe not human life, all of animal life, you know, let's just keep it 100. Animals, you know, they feel pain too. That has to be our priority. You know, when we think and say, even if we did have, you know, a finite amount of money, if someone said, give up your money, give up all the things you own, or I kill your child, what are you going to do? Or I kill your mom, or I kill your dad, what are you going to do? You're going to give it all up. So sometimes you have these centuries saying the stuff like, you know, we can't afford it when we talk about, you know, homelessness or child poverty. And you're thinking, what's the alternative? You know, the alternative is that we continue to have children in poverty. Is that a sustainable, like, do you hear yourself, you know, when you say that? Or we can't afford it. What do you mean we can't afford it? We can't afford morally is to have 25% of our children in poverty. What we can't afford morally is to have, you know, I don't know how many thousand people sleeping on the streets in two, three degrees. People dying from exposure. Do you know how, like, barbaric that is? People are dying because they're outside exposed to the elements. This is the 21st century. You know, this is not like, you know, our civilization started, you know, 200 years ago. How can that be? Like, how can that be in a normal society? That people are dying from exposure to the elements. As humans, you know, like I said before, we have fundamental things that we need to survive. Food, water, shelter, you know. We don't even guarantee any of these things. These are things that even animals more or less have guaranteed to them because of how they live. And we don't even guarantee it to our own people. We farm these things in incredible numbers where we can afford to give everyone. But then we now put, you know, a code, put it behind a lock and say, you know, you have to have this made up paper thing we, we need. And then we'll give it to you. What is that about? Maybe if that, that, that again, if that would like charging for oxygen, we all need oxygen. We you know that you're gonna charge for oxygen as well. It's insane. So we have to start centering our completely remove that money. I don't know if the paper. I think maybe the paper can remain. But again, the paper is getting so irrelevant anyway. When we all move to like all digital, you know, using our bank cards and stuff like that, the paper is gonna be completely irrelevant. Then it's just going to be fully zeros on a computer screen, which is more or less is now anyway. You know, they want to give someone £10,000. Just type 10 zero, 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 zero. Enter into the account. They have that money now. It's a made up system. Especially if you have a good manufacturing base where you're developing most of your own things. You're paying yourself. You know, the government borrowing is like you borrowing from your savings account and then saying, I owe myself £50. I guess if you want to put it that way, but. It is your money at the end of the day. You don't owe anyone anything. You've taken money from yourselves. So I think hopefully, I'm, I don't know, I'm not optimistic, but hopefully, because we did this with the bank way out as well, and then two years later, the Tories were telling us we have to tighten our belts, even though our belts, you know, were not fully tightened somehow when the banks wanted the money. But when, you know, a single mother, you know, that's been kicked out of our rented housing, she, when she wants the money, the banks, the, the, the belt is too tight. There's no magic money tree, apparently. It's funny, Theresa May said that, didn't she? Has anyone asked her when, when we, where um, Boris got his magic money tree from? Maybe she should have asked him when she was Prime Minister. He could have told her. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there, I think. I think that's a good place to leave it. This was meant to be just a little book review, but I did see the similarities to, you know, the kind of stuff I'm interested in in terms of capitalism. And like I've said, I did make that controversial statement that I think our economic system mirrors slavery very, very nicely. Maybe nicely is the wrong word. So I think that was just me trying to explain those comparisons. I have a podcast, a longer podcast, specifically about the virus. 
coming out in a couple of days maybe two three max so um be on the lookout for that and i'll speak to you soon bye